This week on Invasion the Podcast, we continue our year of animation by asking, excuse me, who are you? As we take a look at 1997's Perfect Blue. We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. The arrival of a spaceship. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Flying saucers have invaded our planet. People of the realm of tension. It's the invasion of the podcast. The whole world is under attack. Can it survive? And welcome to Invasion of the Podcast, where we try to take over the world one listener at a time. My name is Paul. And um, somewhere hopping from lamppost to lamppost is Steve. Hello, everybody. You can look for my latest single with my singing group, Cham, coming out uh, end of next month. Perfect. I, I, I always said, I was always worried about like, but Steve, you're a comic book artist and writer. You can't be a pop star. That's what I always say. I mean, you can't make that transition. <laughs> and some some would beg to differ that I'm a comic book artist. Right? But, uh... <laughs> well, didn't didn't Gerald Way? Didn't he uh, Ger- Gerard Way? Not Gerald Way, right? Gerard Way, the guy who was um behind the Umbrella Academy. He was in uh he's in what was it um My Chemical Romance. So yeah, I mean he can do it. And if then, he can do it. I can do it. Yeah, I think so. So yeah, <laughs> uh, this is going to be one of our viewer animation episodes. As I mentioned at the top of the show, we'll be looking at the the. Uh, the anime film, uh, Perfect Blue from 97, uh, obviously got released in different parts of the world a little bit later. I cannot wait to talk to Steve about this movie because I've I've known this movie for 20 years. And I feel like it's a thing that um, either you know about it or you don't. And it's it, that sounds kind of weird, but I, I I cannot wait to, to dig into this with Steve. But before we get to that, um, as I say, I cannot wait. But I'm like, we're going to wait a little bit. We're going to talk about weekends. So, Steve, you teased. Uh, previously on our Facebook page, that there was going to be a, a, a county fair food drive-through. Did you investigate that and report back? So I did investigate that. We actually drove all the way over to I think it's Parma. Uh, <laughs> my wife drove. You're like, uh, you're like I don't know. So, so where is it? Where, where's, where's Where's Drew Carey from? I don't know. Over there, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> well, I can't remember if it's in Parma or if it's Middleburg Heights or it's like in that area. So I don't know technically where the fairgrounds are. Long story short, we we drove a half hour from our house to go over there to be told that it was at least a two hour wait. Oh no! Yeah, Whoa. and we were both like, "Yeah, I want some fair food, but I'm hungry now." Because we were both like, we didn't eat much that day because we were like, "We're gonna go splurge. Like, we don't go out to eat anymore. Like, let's just go and get like crazy, you know, deep fried Oreos and you know." Um, funnel cakes and elephant ears and just all kinds of garbage. And uh, once we were told it was going to be at least a two hour wait, we're like, yeah, we're going back home. Oh man. So yeah, we, uh, we picked up uh Buffalo wild wings on the way home and uh, sadly had no fair food. Well, I mean, you know, so, you could have probably had that uh, like Buffalo wild wings, like, you know, nearby some like carnies or something you know or a kid a kid that's like actively throwing up into a trash can you could have probably had that experience still i could have but i wouldn't have had cotton candy so that's fair so i'm sorry i was expecting like this uh like just you know journey of delights that you're about to talk about and then yeah 
Yeah, I, I would like to say that it was my fault, but it wasn't. We got there and we're just like, and there was a ton of cars. So good for the for them. I'm glad that that many people showed up to the event. But like, boy, you, oh boy, you you know you know the people that were like doing like the alpha ears and the corn dogs are just like the sweating bullets. They're like, do you see all these cars? Like it would be like <laughs> that bit of maximum overdrive where you have Emilio and the crew at the Dixie <laughs> Boy just seeing just till the till the horizon these monstrous trucks that just want fuel and the fuel you're providing is battered fried hot dogs and Snickers. <laughs> One of the worst feelings uh, of working in my time in the uh, restaurant services was uh, when I was at Ponderosa, you know, we were uh, maybe five miles from Cedar point and uh, we would get a lot of traffic, but you would see like buses pull up with oh. like kids who were in like, it was just like, Oh God, just batting down the hatches. The next <laughs> hour and a half is going to be awful. So yeah, I can, I can relate. I imagine there were a lot of like, I, and I'm sure it was good. They, they, they certainly, you know, needed that turnout, but boy, I'm, I'm sure that they, it was probably uh more stressful than they probably anticipated. Like, like the rookies panicking in the corner, you know, it's just like, just that someone comes or slaps them. It's like, get your shit together, Reggie. We got to get this done. You know, like, <laughs> I can't like, batter like, any more hot dogs. Listen, your father was a dogger. Your grandfather's a dogger. And <laughs> God damn it, you're going to be a dogger. And he really just wants to be an artist. Yeah. We find out yeah. that he's like making hot dog uh, sculptures in the back of the truck. <laughs> it's just like he looks over longingly at like the people doing like the the the, the uh, caricatures of people like riding on like roller skates and stuff. And he's like, that's what I want to be. And it's like, Reggie, we're a dog family, not a drawn family. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny, too, because they had, like, a limited menu. Like, um, I don't remember off the top of my head what was on there and what wasn't. But there was one that was called – one of the trucks was, was something like Mr. Chocolate or something like that. But the items that they had on there weren't chocolate. I'm like, <laughs> well, that's weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, I guess that they probably didn't want them to, like, I don't know, uh, overflow into having the same items on different trucks. Yeah, or, okay, that's fair. You know, had a limited menu just because of it was easier to maintain or something like that. But I was just like, that's really weird that there's no chocolate on this, like, <laughs> chocolate branded uh, truck. So, <laughs> all right. So, aside from being disappointed by um, the lack of fair food, which is every day of my life, uh, was there anything else happen on your, in your weekend? So, I, I watched three different movies. And so, I'm going to go through these real quick. Um, the first one is the low point, and uh, is that the name of the movie? The low point. No. Oh, <laughs> it was the low point of the three that I watched. Um, and one of those other movies is Slumber Party Massacre Two. So if this movie is the low point, um, but it was a documentary that I bought on Voodoo, and I have to say, Voodoo is dangerous for me because if I see something's on sale and like I think it might be interesting. I'll just buy it because I'm like, well, it's three dollars to rent it. It's four ninety nine to buy it. I'll just buy it. Like, it's happened. It's burned me quite a few times. But um, a week or two ago, I saw that there was a documentary on there called VHS Nasty. And for those of you who don't know, back in the the eighties, and I think it continued through the nineties and into the two thousands, there were a lot of films that were banned, um, particularly over in the UK. And deemed video nasties, like your Texas Chainsaw Massacres and Faces of Death and those types of movies. So this documentary purported to be about the video nasties. 
And while it was, it was just literally like eight different guys talking about movies that were technically the video nasties. And that's fine if you're, and I realize it's casting stones because we're just two guys talking about content, but this is a documentary in which like, there's really nothing given as far as the historical um, aspect to it, the climate that was happening in the UK during that time, um, the way that it was subverted through throughout, whether it be like, you know, um, people taping things and, and handing them off sort of underground. Like, they cover that a little bit, but, like, I expected there to be, like, oh, this person was a film director at the time, or this person, you know, worked closely in the industry. Like, when you make a documentary about something, typically you talk to the people who are associated with that story. And I realize that VHS Nasties is a big story, but there was, it was all, like, it felt like a guy and his friends talking about it, and I was just kind of annoyed. Because, uh, like, that's fine for a podcast, because there are a lot of movie podcasts I listen to that's just friends talking about movies. But when you claim something's a documentary, I want something a little bit more substantive. Mm-hmm. And now that's another title that's just sitting in my voodoo that's going to be mocking me until the day I die, or voodoo does, one of two. Well, I feel like you so. should get together with a couple people and just make a documentary about all the documentaries you've been disappointed by recently and just talk about I do about feel it. like I've been harder on, on documentaries <laughs> lately. Well, I just think it's funny because like you're like, it's just two guys that maybe don't know things but give give responses. I'm like, yeah, I mean, you pretty much laid us bare here. I get that. But I don't ever pretend that, yeah. that what we do here is like, hey, guys, welcome to this episode of this audio documentary. We're going to be getting in depth. No, like, it's just like, you know, if we hit the mark, great. If we don't hit the mark, um, you didn't pay money for it on Vudu. That's what I'll say about that. You know, I, I mean, I don't know. I think it's, I think you're as, I think you're hundred percent right where it's like, even, you know, as much as even as we covered, what was it? Oh, was it a year ago or so? The, the image documentary talking like the cutting, was it the cutting image or the spitting image? That's not the name of the thing. Um, but that as a documentary in terms of the format and everything really kind of bugged me, but at least you had McFarlane and Liefeld and everybody talking about what happened. At least you got like the people involved to talk about things. So imagine though, if you're watching that documentary, but instead of talking to say Todd McFarlane, Jim Lee, Rob Liefeld, and all those image guys, it was just guys who like comic books talking about it and pretending it's a documentary. Like that's that's the equivalent of what this was. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you could still turn. I think you could turn that um, into a positive if if done right with the right amount, like a formatting and presentation being like, you know, listen, you know, we're not associated with this production. However, uh, based upon this, here's the time and place. Here is like the temperature of like, you know, the UK at the time, like get more into it. I think that's OK. Like I but you're right. Like that's I, I think just a bunch like if if I wanted to watch VH1's like best week ever, I'd watch that. Yeah, I, I just, I guess I don't have a problem with that so much, but I guess when it's calling itself a documentary, that's where I get a little bothered by it because you're not really a documentary in my opinion. So that that was the the, the low light of the weekend. Um, the next one is a, uh, uh, I guess the middle um, for whatever reason. Uh, but uh, I watched the original Steve McQueen Blob, which I'd never seen. Hmm. I've not seen that either. 
And I'll I'll have to say yes. There's the cheesiness of it. There's the it's it's a B movie. Like it's a yeah fifties B movie. So there's that aspect to it. But um, you'll also get caught up in the fact that like all these people who are supposed to be teenagers look like they're in their late thirties. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, overall, it's a fun movie. Like I don't know that I would say that it's a classic. Uh, but I'm surprised that I've waited this long to see it. And I'd always thought it was in black and white. And then I checked it out and on HBO it was in color. And I'm like, oh, did they colorize this? No, it's always been in color. Hmm. But for whatever reason, my brain always thought the original was in black and white. So um, it's on HBO Max right now, guys, if you're interested. I think it's a fun way. It's it's breezy, too. I think it's 80 minutes. Oh, it's nice. pretty short. Um, but it's, it's a fun watch. And there's actually... Yeah, there's laughable effects, but there's actually a couple of cool ones, too, where I'm like, oh, that's really interesting. So, yeah, I, I would recommend the, the 1958's The Blob uh, if you're uh, somebody who hasn't caught it, especially if you're a horror fan, I'd recommend it. And then uh, the last thing that I did, and this is going to tie into a little bit about something that we'll talk about at the end of the show, but uh, the uh, last drive-in had a special uh, I don't even remember what they called it. If it was like, like their the summer, summer special sleepover or something, right? Like something like that. Yeah. And uh, they they showed two movies. The first of which was uh, Slumber Party Massacre, which I had not seen. I'm sorry, Slumber Party Massacre Two. I want to differentiate uh, with Crystal Bernard of Wings fame. I think it's her first. Oh, movie. really? Okay. Helen, the lunch yeah. lady, the lunch counter lady. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I used to have a huge crush on her, so I forgot that. I think I, everybody did in nineteen ninety two. I think I've seen this movie, but I, you know, it just I was in high school, and yeah, it's a Roger Corman low budget fun movie. Yeah. Um, and there's certainly things that can go into talking about it. Uh, you know, whether it's the fact that uh, you know female written and directed at a time when that wasn't happening, and it, having a feminist out. Uh, outlook uh, in that in the genre um that stuff's all interesting and then the second movie was victor crowley which um i've been a fan of adam greens for a while and i met him at the premiere at the capitol back in like 2017 we, we get it steve you know people no I'm joking. yeah but uh, <laughs> the thing that i wanted to mention about this though that was kind of fun was that uh, uh i'd never had lone star beer and I was like, you know what? I'm going to go find Lone Star Beer. I'm going to get out of my shell. I'm going to put on a mask. I'm going to go on Google. <laughs> I'm going to go on. I'm going to get out of my shell, put on a mask. I don't know if those two exactly go hand in hand. <laughs> sure. Like, I want to believe you're like, you know, God damn it. I was denied fair food. I'm going to go find <laughs> Texas beer. That's what's going to happen now. So I, uh, I went to North Olmstead and, uh, found a place that's still Lone Star. And, uh, because that's the drink uh, Joe Bob is always drinking during the show, and picked up some Lone Star. I have to say, uh, not bad. Like I, I didn't know what to expect since it's you know, uh, you, we all have our comfort zones when it comes to the things that we drink. So I wasn't sure if it was going to be like, oh, it's basically Schlitz or you know whatever. Mm -hmm. But uh, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, but it did give me an idea. And this is something that to drink beer I, and talk about things, Steve. I love it. Let's do that. <laughs> I, I, I want to do this. Uh, obviously, I don't think we're going to be able to do it in October because COVID will still be a thing in October, unfortunately. But uh, I want to do a film uh, marathon that's beer based. So 
right off the bat, uh, we we got to have like a Romero film and get some Iron City. Okay. And then we switch over and we watch My Bloody Valentine and we start drinking some Moosehead. Yes. And then like I'm I I'm, I've only got two movies so far. I have those two movies, but I'm like I've got to find movies that are identified with a specific beer, and like build a marathon around it. And then oh, well, dude, we drink the, well, those the, beers. The, the original canon was not the smoking the bandit. It was all about getting um what was it Coors? Coors. That's yeah. Right. There you You've go. You've mentioned that like three times. I always forget for some reason. I mean, not that I'm like I mean I haven't seen the movie in forever, but I remember that. Like that's a big plot point. Um, yeah, and then. I would say we could just finish a strange brew and we'll just sneak a mouse in a bottle of whatever. <laughs> and, um, yeah, like, like I know, I, I know, um, Oh, uh, Eisenhold isn't really a, a beer, but we could find a Canadian beer to go along with everything. I'd be fine. The Molson, eh? Like they like drink Molson's so we can find a Molson. That'd be great. Yeah. So I, I think that would be fun to just have like a beer based marathon. Yeah. Or we could figure out whatever it was they're drinking in the Winchester and Shaun of the Dead. Right. And just have Oh like, yeah. Uh, or the world's end. Don't they have like all those beers oh. there too? Oh my goodness. Yeah. Steve, you want to kill me, but I'm fine with that. That's fine. That's a good way to go out. I appreciate it. Um, I do love the world's end and it's entirely based upon going and drinking, uh, that's it that's it you you pick the movies we'll call it the golden triangle and we'll see if we can get through it i i think that would be amazing nice i like it perfect look at us look at us come up with ideas it's like no one's ever thought of just drinking and watching movies before you're welcome world (laughs) we're gonna go to the patent office right now and patent that shit (laughs) i'm an innovator what can i say But that so, uh, that wraps up my weekend. That was my big uh, big thing that I I pulled out of the weekend was uh, I was like I'm gonna do a beer based marathon. I appreciate that. Um, uh, so yeah, my my weekend was just I, World of Warcraft has its hooks in me right now pretty hard. So I've been playing that because uh, the expansion is on the horizon. So there's a lot of like housekeeping of like I like to get all this stuff done. So it's been a lot of like just playing and just running a little harder content and like with people that know what they're doing, AKA not me, but it's been fun. Like it's been fun. Like that's the kind of game that like you can, it, they've done so many things over the course of like 15 plus years to make, you can just walk in and play and, and find groups and things. But they also kind of like have that ceiling of like, yeah, but you could also do this if you find people. And that's kind of where I've not like, you know, the, you know, since, since having a job that pays me a fair amount to be there, I've not ever really hit the ceiling too much anymore of a video game, but it's just been nice to kind of pretend to do things for a minute. Uh, so it's, it's been fun running content. That's a little bit more challenging. Um, that, that's all it, it's either here or there. It's just fun to play with people that actually can have a good time, can make a joke. And if you screw up, you screw up. And if not, you just dust yourself off and just go on and just keep trying your best and, and working towards hard stuff. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. Can I ask a uh, stupid game question? No, it's not a stupid game question. Well, it, it is, because I, I think you may have answered this in the past, but because uh, I remember you showing me, I think it was World of Warcraft, that like people were petitioning for like, oh, re-release this level of World of Warcraft. Yes. Yeah. Um, has World of Warcraft ever like gone, I don't want to say like the sequel route, but like, has it just always just always been world of warcraft and then it's like well we've expanded it and there's a new level or like i guess i don't understand how it works in the sense that like you know you had super mario brothers one two three 
and then like Super Mario Land, and then okay, that's you fair. know. So here I'll answer it this way: so the two things that you you specifically mentioned is one, people were petitioning for a release of the original version of the game, which was just called World of Warcraft. People will now call it Classic or Vanilla. Um, and that's, they have that up and running right now. People can go do that. It's the original systems. It is, um, it's, it's a, if you like just being annoyed the entire time and not doing anything good, have fun with that. Some people like that old, like old, old, old grind, but over 15 years plus they've, they've updated systems. They've changed philosophies and game, like game playing. Um, so they've never really done a quote unquote sequel, but through the expansions, which they'll release every two to three years, they'll update systems and change things. To where um, there are like seven or eight expansions in now, but there was one called the Cataclysm that was like mid, like it's fourth or like the fourth expansion they put out that basically reset like how you approach the game. Like your character progression was the same, you know, the stories were all the same. You still can log into your character, but the way that you access your talent points and your abilities change completely. So it's like they basically made a sequel. And just kind of pushed everybody forward, but you were able to still keep the same person you locked in to and you, you know, and everything like they've done such an amazing balancing act of you can still go back and look at all this old stuff. But now you come forward and see the the quality of life changes. So like they've they've technically have rolled in sequel features many times, but they're able to keep it all one through line, if that makes sense. Uh, that that does make sense. Yeah, I just I wasn't sure how that worked uh, since I've never you know. Well, there's an attachment. There's an attachment to like your your characters or what you hear people call them their tunes. Like their their different tunes they have, which I would assume like because looks cartoony. I think that's where that comes from. And like I you know I have attachments to characters I've been playing for years. So to to know that if if Blizzard came along and said, "Hey, we're making World of Warcraft Part Two, and then you got to put away your guy." it would be a hard thing to say goodbye to, you know? So they found a way to keep you invested and keep, and keep that heroin drip running, you know? So, um, but they find a way to kind of reward like the, the, the top tier people that are the hardcores and then also make it accessible for people that, you know, the game has grown over 15 years. So people that were playing in high school and college now have jobs and kids, but they still like playing. You know, so the game's kind of grown up a lot of ways too, where it can still satisfy the hardcores. But if people want to run around the weekends with their friends, you can do that too. Okay, are they the only one really who does that, or are, are there there other like games that are still perpetuating like a similar world where they're just like we're not sequelizing, we're just expanding? Uh, yeah, there are. Um, I haven't really dug into them. I know um, Lord of the Rings Online still around. Uh, Elder Scrolls Online is a thing that keeps they keep adding to. Um, that sounds really interesting, but that also sounds a little bit more um, not time intensive. Is not the right thing, but it's like you got to learn an entire new system. That's my whole thing. Why I don't jump into a lot of different MMOs because I'm like, it's like it, it's one of those things that it's it would be like um, how do I describe it like. I know my life, but like, okay, well, you're going to take over the job of a gym teacher. Like, I don't know how to do that. Like, it would be like, you know, like you're, you're now a Benihana chef. Good luck. Like what? Like, I don't understand, you know, like what's That's, that's a, that's kind of a rip off of canal Canadian thing. But like the whole notion of like, if you just like had a freaky Friday thing where you switch buys with like, you know, like the president is like, all right, I don't know how to handle any of this. Can I just go back to being me? Yeah. I'm annoyed with things I can't do. And there's things I'd like to do better, but I know how to live my life, you know, type of thing. So MMOs sometimes are one of those things. It's just like, that looks cool. Do I have the brain space for that now? Um, some people do. 
Uh, but there's games still out there. There's a game called Eve Online, which is like this like space um, game that uh, has been going on. It's been on for years, and um, um, people get really cutthroat in there. Like there's big time money deals that happen that like equivalent currency in real dollars is huge. Like there's corporate takeovers in that game. Someone just built a Death Star, a functional Death Star in that game. It's intimidating. I don't want to get anywhere near it. Wow. Yeah. It's funny because when you said uh, a job that you wouldn't know how to do and you mentioned uh, a gym teacher, I thought to myself, well, most of the guys who taught me gym when I was uh, a kid, uh, my gym instructors were uh, pretty much all guys who looked like me. And uh, had no real prowess. Uh, All right, guys, you know. let's do some laps. I'll just tell you about that time I was almost at States. Like, States for and I would, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I would base my entire, like, persona then on my knowledge of the gym teacher in Teen Wolf. So that would just be... <laughs> I like I like I like, I, um, I like Hannibal Burris from the the two Spider Man like uh, Homecoming and Far From Home where he's like we're just gonna watch this I think he's a war criminal I don't know just watch the video like, so yeah anyway I've been that playing a lot, it's pretty great yeah I've been playing a lot of World War, Warcraft uh, my my human warrior Ator is at uh, max level I've not played for him a bit but Ator is the fighting eagle uh, if you guys have not listened to our talk about that um, a while ago in a year of the knockoff I do have. A fabulous warrior that runs around. I think. I think. Yeah, I actually have the title of the fabulous. So I think his name's Ator the Fabulous that I will run around with. So it's good times. Nice. So yeah, that was my weekend. Was playing a video game, and um, and your weekend was watching movies and not getting fair food. So I'm sorry about that. Yeah, I got the uh, the uh, BW3 sampler uh, appetizer, so I was pretty happy. Like, okay, like, can I just mention that, like, they do the cheese curds now, and they're not bad. Like, they're actually quite good. Did you get the the cheese curds part of the sampler platter? No, no, uh, which is weird, because I don't order anything else. I just get this appetizer sampler platter, which is, like, nachos, mozzarella sticks, uh, uh, chicken wings. Well, it's, like, chicken nuggets, uh, or boneless chicken wings, I should say, and uh, onion rings. But it's enough that it's like it's more than enough to be a meal, actually. But like, uh, that's what I get every time because I'm like, I I like all four of those things, and it fills me up. Nice. Um, so. Oh, one other thing I should mention too, because you know why not? You know we're only thirty minutes in here. We haven't even talked about Perfect Blue yet. Uh, so I, a buddy of mine who I just he celebrating his second wedding anniversary um, recently, like. You know, with everything going on now, people being stressed about things like you could just, you know, you ever get like the vibe from people of like, you know, they need a win, like something like just to, to bring like perk their day up. And not that my friend isn't like happy, like, you know, he's had a child and everything, but like there's a lot of stress, especially right now. Right. Um, I decided to dip into the world of cameo. Um, like I, that is my new obsession now, not like paying for cameo, but seeing who is on cameo. It is amazing. Who's available. To, to, you can give money to that they can talk to you for a second and you can email things to people. Um, I don't know if how much you have looked at like who's available on cameo. It's, it's quite entertaining to me. So I gave it a passing look, I don't know, a few weeks ago, but recently Kathy, some like somehow cameo hadn't reached her and like some, maybe you posted something. I don't know, but she was like, what is cameo? what is this thing? And she's like constantly like, do you know that this person's on cameo? Do you know this person's on cameo? Oh my God. It would totally be worth the money to send, you know, a video <laughs> greeting to so-and-so. And yeah. I'm like, I did not know that that person's on cameo. The only person that I, 
I looked up specifically was uh, Rob Maschio, who was the Todd on Scrubs. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's on there. Yeah. He's a little and, pricey uh, though for what he for the for what you like. You know, we need the Todd. He's like what, like like seventy bucks or something, something like yeah. that. Yeah, and he. Uh, what's interesting too is is that he's like a real estate guy now, <laughs> which I think is so funny. Like, um, but he does the cameo thing on the side, and I was like. Like, I don't know. I, I have a friend of mine who uh, was a big Scrubs fan, fan as well. I'm like, maybe I'll just surprise him on his birthday and have uh, the Todd send him a message. Yeah, so that's so I did that. So I, I'll just mention, though, that, like, I think I posted on my Facebook page that there's a guy who just plays Jesus as, like, $29. I'm like, you could get a cameo from Jesus. That's amazing. <laughs> um, but, uh, like, I looked up, like, Meatloaf's, like, 100 bucks, And I'm like, yeah, you know, he's a little weird now, but. God damn, he's meatloaf and he was in the pick of destiny. Not that I, you know, not that I would like drop that money, but it's like also like Lisa Loeb's on there too. And I'm like, I've seen her twice in concert. I adore her. It's just, you know, whatever. I start looking up these things. Right. So anyway, my buddy, he's big time in wrestling, which this will tie back to last week. That's why I mentioned it. Um, and I looked up, I was like, I was looking at professional wrestlers and like, there's some, you know, you could drop some money. Um, I paid like 70, 75 bucks for Mick Foley to to wish them a happy wedding anniversary and congrats on their their house and their child. Oh, that's uh, nice. And it's Mick Foley, right? You got mankind. The dude got thrown through how many like feet of steel cage by the Undertaker and lived, you know, like dude, like dude's amazing. Like pillar pillar of the wrestling, you know, world, right? So I sent the request in and with and it was like it like you you see it's like Mick Foley is like you know like he's looked at your request. I'm like, "Okay, whatever." And it's like they say it could take 72 hours. And I'm like messing around playing a video game. And it's like your cameo is right. I'm like, holy shit. Like, what's he doing? Like, so, um, <laughs> the guys are professional. I'll say that. And I clicked on it and he, you know, did like a two minute video and, but it was just funny cause he mentioned be my name, which I didn't need that. But he was like, yeah, Paul didn't mention either, either if either one of you is like a wrestling fan. I'm like, Oh, that's the thing I'm gonna get dinged on because I'm, I'm asking you to wish that like one of them is a wrestling <laughs> fan, not the child. You know, you have a 50, 50 shot here, Mick Foley. Um, <laughs> But it was funny. I thought that was funny. And then uh, obviously they, they were over the moon about it. So that was good. But yeah, Mick Foley. Like, I think like, you know, I mean, obviously for everybody, you got to judge like the value for the money that you spend on this. And I think in general, I'd rather have a face to face interaction with somebody that can't happen right now. Um, like I remember was it three or four years ago, I got to meet Hacksaw Jim Duggan in person. And that was, that was fun. Like I gave, you know, I paid him and he signed a two by four and, and we talked for a minute. His hands were the size of shovels. Like, you know, that was great. Um, we can't do that right now. And, but it's just like, you know, good old Mick Foley. He was like, Oh, someone's paying me to say nice things. I'll say it right now. So, yeah, I will say, cause I don't want to spoil it in case I decide to do it, but I will say that Kathy mentioned a name that I was like. You know what? I bet you Paul would would love to hear from that person. Well, so I won't say who it was. That's funny because I did link on your wall though the guy that's not Tom Cruise. I was like, I know I'm getting you for your birthday. It's not Tom Cruise. <laughs> yeah, I forgot. Like my thing now is to find cameo people and just link them to people and be like, yeah, I'm gonna get that for you. It's like I I guess it's kind of making fun of the people, but it's still kind of a funny idea. So oh man, yeah. I need to now check and see if Miles O'Keefe of Ator is on there. <laughs> He's like, you know, for hundred dollars, I will definitely get hot for my sister. That's what I'm gonna do. <laughs> All right. Anyway, enough about that. Let's just, um, yeah, uh, let's just, uh, let's just get to uh, our discussion about Perfect Blue. <clears throat> so we're gonna listen to the trailer, which is the the original release trailer in the '90s for the VHS release of this. So 
it's a little different. Um, so just bear with us. And now for our feature presentation. can be deadly. I'm always watching Mima's room. In the world of make-believe. This is when Mima proves herself. The price of fame. Don't worry, Mima, it'll be all right. May not be worth the cost of identity. Where did this come from? How do they know so much? Innocence is lost. Dreams become nightmares. And privacy no longer exists where everything you do can be seen by everyone and those you trust are really those you should fear your life no longer belongs to you excuse me manga entertainment presents satoshi khan's animated psychological thriller I don't know why the trailer dips out the end where it's like perfect blue. I don't know why it does that, but um, so I, I think it adds to it though. <laughs> a little bit, it's, I guess. It's creepy. It is creepy. Um, yeah. So I know we've kind of like, we've had some more serious fare here, the year of animation, um, you know, and a little bit more. Um, I mean, I, you know, a lot of it's been, some of it's been more family approachable. Um, this one is not, uh, so I posted on the Facebook page a couple of days ago that I found a uh, the English dub of the film available on YouTube. Um, not that I'm normally am like a, a advocate for piracy. Um, this film is 20 plus years old, um, and it's a hard it's a hard one to find. Evidently, because I mentioned last week uh, at the end of the show that oh Amazon has it available for four dollars. They do. Uh, it is the wonderful like HD restoration version of it, but it is it's, it has the subtitles, which I'm not against. I think that's, you know, if there's plenty of films that I've watched that have subtitles, um, but you know, some people that's a barrier, but I also think that the English dub track for this is actually really good. So if people want to check that out, it's available for free on YouTube. Um, yeah, I don't know how else to frame this before we dig into it. I guess, I guess the first thing I'll just say is, uh, I've, I've known this movie for 20 years. Uh, plus we've hung out. No. Like, I'm like, Hey, sup, sup, perfect blue. It's like, you're just hanging out, just doing some champ things. Um, I believe I read about this in the Fangoria magazine. Um, and I went to go like, look, look for it in particular. Uh, cause Steve, I, I guess I'll put this on you first. So I know when we talked about Howl's moving castle and there's a whole like section of animation that is from the East that we're not as familiar with. Uh, when you were like in high school and going to college, like the, the I know you're a little, little older than me, you know, like what, 15, 20, 25 years older than me, something like that. Like I'm, I'm like, I'm like 21. Like I'm, I am a spring daisy. Um, I know you're not challenging me on that. That's funny. Uh, but, um, <laughs> no, like what, what was your relationship with like 
anime and manga going through high school and college because I feel like there's probably some interest that you had that there was probably some some um, crossover. Yeah, like there was and there wasn't. Like I, I think the thing that people talked about the most was Akira. Like Akira was always the thing, um, at least within the circles that I ran um, that was like, you have to check out Akira. It's a masterpiece. You have to check out Akira. It's a masterpiece. Uh, that was the thing that I probably heard the most uh, about. Um, I had a niece uh, who, well, I still have a niece, but uh, <laughs> during that time who was very big into, uh, I want to say it's in Yuasha. Yeah. Along yeah, yeah, those lines. Yeah. Um, and she was getting the, the, I call them trades, but they're just probably the regular copies of the manga. Um, and I remember her being really big into it and I remember buying her some, but I don't know what it was. I don't know if there was a fear of, uh, of not getting into it or like, I, I don't know what my, what the barrier was, but I, I just, outside of Akira, I hadn't really delved into it and actually like even when it comes to comics like other than like looking at a few and being like wow these all have amazing backgrounds how is this possible why does this look so good um i've never actually like sat down and read a proper manga comic i haven't um and i realize i'm, I'm mixing the two but i'm just saying that like well, not necessarily in my because brain they the the um the, the company that released this was called manga when they originally released this like you know like I picked up a VHS copy of this film under the Mango title, so you're yeah. I, and, and and I'm not as informed or or smart enough to explain the difference between Manga might be the printed version versus anime, and if and, and people might know the um uh the different well, not epidemiology, but like you know the the actual breakdown of those terms. So if you do inform us, but I, I know what you're saying, and I I think. Part of it also just comes from the fact that I was so into the things that I was into that there wasn't room. Okay. And I hate to put it that way, but like, I, I don't know. I sometimes obsess over things. Um, and whether that's healthy or not is a completely different discussion. But like, there was a point where in my life where I watched Tim Burton's Ed Wood literally every day. Like I, I had, I had a period where I was just fascinated with Ed Wood, both the film and the man, and read Nightmare of Ecstasy, and um, went back and watched all of his films, and like I had this, like I just got sucked into it. So I think sometimes I get a little narrow focused, um, and for whatever reason, outside of, I feel like uh, I think it's called Toonami now, but I don't even think it was called that back in day uh cartoon network would have their anime shows that they would show they would do that and then also like in the later the later part of the adult swim at nighttime they'll have different ones like i know full metal alchemist and other things they'd run and now there's the big time streaming service called Crunchyroll that has a lot of anime that's a big big yeah. deal and i i i don't know i i hate to say that i'm completely ignorant of it but i am and Actually, when you suggested this to me, I don't know why, but from the title, I assumed that it was like a French animation film or I, I didn't even realize that it was anime until like you were like, oh, here, check this out. And I'm like, 
Oh, I like I, I like the idea. It's just like, what do you want to do for the year animation? Well, I want to do an animated film. Well, that doesn't sound animated. What what's like? <laughs> what's what's well, this French live like, action film where there's baguettes and cigarettes? What is going on here? You know, like like I haven't seen Persopolis, but like I I know. Oh yeah, like the feeling of yeah. that. That was what I was expecting. I wasn't expecting what we got. Okay, so okay, so as much as I've glowed about this film and have danced around it with you, um, you you literally didn't have an idea of what you were getting into. No, not a clue. Oh shit, this I, is going to be a fun talk. Okay, good, the first, good. The first minute, I was like, "Is this a Power Rangers movie? What am I watching?" <laughs> and, and it subverts your expectations, right? Like that's great. It does. Um, so I've like I said, I, I'm pretty sure I read about this in a, like a write up in Vangoria. Um, and this is when I was working at Cedar Point, so I was in your backyard. I picked up a VHS copy of this at Babbage's in the Sandusky Mall at um, Midway Mall. Um, not Midway. What's Sandusky Mall? Is that Midway? It's just called the Sandusky, Sandusky Mall. Sandusky Midway Mall. is actually where I live now. That's okay. Delirious. I'm so sorry. I got my Ohio places mixed up. But the, wherever the Babbage's was in like 98, 99, you know, the place that would sell like Dreams, uh, was it, um, not Dreamscape, uh, you know, they they'd sell PC games and they would start selling some of the you know, other systems. Babbage's, you know, no longer around, and they actually had a whole rack of VHS uh, manga or sorry anime, and and I like this was just something I picked up not as a blind buy because it was recommended. I honestly believe by Fangoria because I have no idea how else I would have learned about this movie, and the fact that it called it very Hitchcockian, I was like, okay, so I, I was I was interested. Um, my my experience with uh, with anime, um, it, it is hit or miss. Uh, you have like I there was I think this might have been the same year, if not the year after. I had a roommate at the time that he would just watch Dragon Ball Z, and it just pissed me off anytime it was on. Um, and maybe maybe my appreciation that'd be better now, but it was like it just annoyed the crap out of me whenever he was playing that. So there's a lot of that that I kind of was like, eh, I don't know, but there's something about like the late nineties, like, um, like manga and anime that there's a little bit of a taboo around it. That felt like it was a little, little, like, you know, you're into that. Like that, that always felt like that to me. Um, and so when I picked this up and I watched it and, and I fell in love with it, this was one of those things that I always shoved on people. Like you got to watch perfect blue. You got to watch this. Um, honestly, I don't know where, like I lost my VHS copy over time, uh, I I certainly made people watch it. And then recently it got a wonderful uh, um, North American uh, release like about a year ago. There's a, you can pick it up. I actually have it here it is, um, where is it? it there's a Blu-ray DVD uh, copy available, actually a combo. I thought I had it for like 20 bucks available. Um, so it's, it's gotten a wonderful remaster. Um, but anyway, so I've known about this movie for a long time. And my relationship with uh, with anime and manga is about this, and I have the entire was it fifteen book set of like Battle Royale, which came out a few years after this. That's about it. Like I have a hard time dipping my toes into some things because I think it might be a storytelling conventions, and it also might be a cultural divide. I have a hard time sometimes getting into this, but something like this. Um, and we're going to talk more about the story and the grounding is much more set in reality before the wheels fall off, where I feel like maybe uh, the unfair assumption is that a lot of anime is you just got to got to roll with it. And that's fine, but that's not necessarily where I'm at with a lot of it. I think also in my case, too, I think part of it is just that I, I sometimes need a push 
to find find something. Um, and and I, just because I don't think any of the people that I hung out with and was friends with at that time were into this, so I didn't have anybody pushing me into it. Because sometimes I feel like uh, I'm trying to think of a, a good example, but like uh, Nine Inch Nails was a band that. <laughs> And this is the 90s that I didn't discover on my own. And it wasn't until my partner of the Saturday Night Slasher, Ryan, was like listening to Nine Inch Nails. I'm like, what is this? And he's like, it's Nine Inch Nails. And I'm like, I didn't know this was Nine Inch Nails. And then realizing, oh, you like this band. So hmm. I, I and maybe some of that is going to come out of this year, particularly after this and Howl's Moving Castle, not to show my hand. But I really like this movie. So maybe this will be the kick in the ass that I need to look into more of this stuff. Okay, that's fair. So, uh, with that being said, so this this came out, um, you know, uh, quite a while ago in the seven, not not seventies, the nineteen ninety seven. We played the trailer already. Uh, this was uh, Shatoshi Khan, which uh, he directed. This um, he only directed four films, um, like four theatrical released films. Um, this one, uh, Millennial Actress, which I thought was part of um, Studio Ghibli. I don't know why I thought that. Another film called um, Tokyo Godfathers and then Paprika, which I remember that came out in 2006. I remember that box art when I worked at Blockbuster and it looked like like it looked like fun. I just never dove into it. So this is my only film of his that I know. And then he suddenly and sadly just died of cancer. Like, yeah, I was looking at his info. I saw that he died at 46. Yeah. And uh, it's it's crazy. Like what he accomplished at, you know, visually and artistically and then just to be gone at 46 is just sad. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I was, I was expecting this guy to have like the same, like long shadow, like Miyazaki and he would have from everything that I know about him, he would have, but gone. Right. And it makes me feel like I, I've known about millennium actress. I've known about paprika. Um, why haven't I not seen these? And I will now I'll, I'll make that a point. But so uh, to get a little bit more into this too, this was originally a book um, that was going to be made into a live action film. But then um, they said the Kobe earthquake in 95 screwed up the production studio. So the budget got just taken down. So they decided to make it into a, a animated film. So that that's an interesting choice that they're like, we're going to still do this, but you know, you got a less of a budget it's animated. And I think that the, the Eastern markets are more, um, accepting at the time of an animated film that's like, oh, it's animated versus like, like uh, not to go off too much of a tangent, but it's like when we talked about Mask of the Phantasm, there's a great market for the DC directed video, like the animated directed video stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I think maybe their appreciation over there at this time was higher for, you know, animated films being in the theater, you know, and, and going to go see them and paying their money. Um, but yeah, so that kind of, that's what happened. And then, um, yeah, it just kind of was, it was a product of a lot of different things that just kind of showed up. Uh, yeah, please go ahead. You're going to say something. No, I was, uh, I was just going to ask, well, first I was going to say that watching this movie, I can, I can see, I could see it being adapted into a live action film. I think that it's a wonderfully animated film though. And now that we've got this version, I don't know that a live action film would be able to outdo it. Um, but there was there is one though that came out two thousand two. Was there really? Yeah. Okay. I've well, not seen that's going to be my next question because, and I haven't seen Black Swan. Shame on me. But um, I read, and it's it's on IMDb, so it has to be true. 
but that Darren Aronofsky <laughs> holds the rights to the American distribution or something along those lines, and he used it in his in Black Swan. He used uh, a lot of familiar images and scenes from Perfect Blue in, in Black Swan, which I haven't seen, so I don't know if that's true or not. It, it is true, but also he picked it up because there was something like the the whole bit of um uh whenever we have um uh, Mima like in the bathtub and she screams underwater like out of just like you know rage he uses mm-hmm. that i don't know i don't remember if it's in black swan but i think it's in requiem for a dream so he picked up a lot of the distribution rights here so because there's there's images and elements that he likes and uh that's why i don't think we'll ever see a uh live action like western interpretation of this which i'm okay with that honestly like i i think I think this exists, exists perfectly on its own. So, um, all right. So, uh, enough beating around the bush here. Uh, so, um, Steve, what is this movie about? I want, I want, this is your first time watching it. What is this film about? God, there's so many things that this movie's about. I would say like the biggest thing that it's about is about identity. And even though, it was made over 20 years ago, which, again, I had this moment today earlier when I was looking at uh, information of the movie. It's like, oh, it's from 97, so it's like 13 years old. And I'm like, no, you dummy. It's <laughs> 23 years old. Uh, yeah. Reminding me that, like, I still think the 90s were 10 years ago. Um, yeah, I, I, it's eerily prophetic in a lot of ways in the way that it handles... Uh, our perception of, of fame and not even fame, I guess, uh, of the avatar idea or the person that we want to be. Um, yeah, that's and, fair. Uh, the, the main character, Mima, is in a popular singing group named Chan, uh, and she has decided to change her career path and go into acting. Uh, along with that, there's a particular portion of her base fans who are upset with her leaving music and going into acting. And all of this is tied together with her trying to find her as identity as an actress, um, and who she really is. Um, and while this is happening at the same time, uh, God, there's so many facets to the story. There's a stalker involved. Mm -hmm. There's a, a website that is put up, uh, that's about her, um, and it's, it's giving out intimate details about her that only she would really know. Um, some of them also being fake because they're in direct contrast to what she's actually thinking. Um, and there's also a violent killing spree that starts happening around her. And as she's filming this television series called double bind, uh, it's intertwined with her character arc and the way her life is sort of unwrapping around her okay i think that's i I, I think that's as about as good as you can get try to describe this at first glance um so i I know we're um we're 52 minutes into this because you know it's welcome invasion of the podcast you're tuck in that that should be our new motto tuck in i'm gonna i wouldn't buy this for 4.99 on voodoo i'm just telling you that not the movie i'm talking about us oh oh, us no 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 yeah (laughs) my god i think freeze a a price too high but i'm throwing these out here right now do you know why they are called spoilers Watch this movie. Um, maybe not like it. Okay. Just throws out there. Uh, there are very sudden violent bits to it. 
There is um, very stark nudity in this film. Um, th- those aren't positives. It's just a statement. Um, so be ready for it. I think it's all done, actually handled quite well. But if you're going to watch this in like mixed company or like be, be aware, but that YouTube rip I put up on, um, on the Facebook page, it doesn't, it, there's no censoring of it. It's just straight up what it is. Um, I, I, and I know we sometimes like we, they tip our hand early and I know this is the one I brought to Steve. Um, if you have like an hour and a half, cause this movie just breezes by, um, watch it. And I don't want to spoil a single drop of it for you if you've not seen it, because now that I know that Steve didn't know what this was and I kept talking about it, um, this is rare air for me to be like, oh, you've never heard of this? Blah, 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 blah. I don't want to ruin it for you either. So (laughs) please, like even with Steve's description, that doesn't really ruin, that doesn't give away anything. So watch it. Like now we can talk more about it. Yeah, it's a a very complex story. And I don't mean that in in a bad way or a negative way. I, I, I remember a few weeks ago, we were talking about the difference between a film being actually slow and a, a film that's building tension. And yeah, it was, a it was our, uh, for a few dollars more, mm-hmm. uh, conversation where I was talking about the fact that like modern audiences might call it slow, but I'm like, it's, it's not really fair to call a film slow. If it's purposeful. Be, yeah. If it's purposeful. And I think that this is complex but it's purposeful. It's not, it's not trying to mislead you. It's, it's presenting you with a lot of different imagery and it's giving you a lot of different routes that the story can go, but it's, it's complex in a good way. It's, it, it, it's a complexity that pulls you in as opposed to pushes you off. Yeah. We'll put it that way. So, so when you, we talked about this earlier, whenever the very first shot you see is almost like a power Rangers or Voltron thing, and then that turns out to be like this live uh, performance in front of this crowd of people that it's like, it's like, you know, come see the power Rangers live. And then we're going to have champ perform the movie from the get go tells you your perspective. It's like what you see, you need to question like, because nothing is set in re like nothing set in stone about what you're about to see. And I think that's an interesting tip of the hand because the rest of the film plays out like that, where uh, especially the beginning section where we have uh, Nima, like coming to grips with her. This is Cham's last show. It's her and two other girls. Uh, it's a three girl pop band. And and I will also say, I like the music in this movie a great deal. Um, and, uh, I'm a sucker for like girl pop. And it's like, even though this is like 20 plus years old, I'm all about the, the song at the beginning here. Um, but it's this intercutting of her. It's like, it's, uh, her doing this performance, but also her leading up to, it's, it, it doesn't really give like definite timestamps, but it's her day to day, like, like leading up to it. And then after her performance. And I think it's an interesting cross cut to show. Yeah. She's a pop star, but she's also Nima. And that gives this film a really cool, um, grounding in reality that I, I wanted to say out front. I think, um, when I was going to tell you, Hey, we need to watch this, uh, Japanese animated film after seeing house moving castle within the first couple minutes, you see this like rickety, like steampunk castle on the horizon where you're like, okay, we're in for a weird time. I'm going to trust those in power and we're going to have a good time. This is a girl living in the world's tiniest apartment who happens to be a pop star. And it like, there's this grounding in reality that you can relate to until the, until the board gets tilted. 
Yeah, can we can we actually talk real quick about the visuals of the film? Not um, not at all in the year of animation. We cannot talk about that. <laughs> so, I mean, there are a couple of things that I, I wanted to mention. The first one is is that um, the amount of incredible detail that is put into uh, Mima's living space. Um, it says so much about her character. And the fact that they drew all of that stuff is just mind blowing to me. I, again, I, I don't want to make this too much about comic books, but when I was writing the first issue of the Saturday Night Slasher, they specifically put in four pages that to show the main character in her environment. Cause I, I'm, I'm a firm believer that the characters, if you know that their environments that they're in, it tells you more about the character than writing about it. Now, granted, I still overwrite the shit out, out, out of everything, but like the the whole world of Nima is in that apartment, and it's so well done. It's so incredibly crafted to the fact that they're like, we're going to give you this cramped bathroom, and like we're going to show you like all the bottles of shampoo and her stuffed animals. And then we're going to show you her fish tank and her Sony, uh, PlayStation, PlayStation one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> glad you saw um, that. Yeah. But like, it's all this like small detail that tells us about who the character is. And I'm just, I'm like, that's, that's really smart. And I, I, I sometimes wish, and again, you can't do it with every film because you know, you've got a set dresser who's probably like, yeah, it's a 16-year-old kid's room, so I just made it look like a messy bedroom or whatever. But, like, environments inform who characters are or the informs the audience, the audience about the, who the characters are. Um, and I was really, like, just dazzled by that. And there's a shot later in the film that's a pullout uh, uh, out of her apartment and into the city that's just amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that for a brief second, I was like, did they just put her in, like, a real city? Like, I thought it was just them pulling out to a real shot that they just rotoscoped in the animation. Nice. Okay. But it, it wasn't, I realized soon after that it was animation, but I was so impressed by the environments that they created in this film and the way that, uh, everything is so painstakingly, uh, I, I don't want to say drawn, but painted, uh, the way that I it's, think it's, it's both, right? Cause I mean, at this yeah. time, like, I don't know how much digital assist there was, especially for something that was slashed. The budget was slashed hard for this um i, I yeah uh there's and also you can the, tell me that but i can't tell that the budget was slashed on that i, I, I agree amazing. i i agree um and i um and spoiler I'm, i won't ask steve later because i um i sent him some uh screen caps from uh the amazon rental because i there's so the youtube rip which again this is the way you're talking about that i think looks pretty good it's the audio is soft but again mm-hmm. you get it for a free rip just turn it up and just deal with it um but uh, the, you know, that looked pretty good, but there was, there was just bits in that, that if you do watch the YouTube thing that we linked, um, just be aware there's segments where they show text on screen that is not translated. I think you can still pick up the whole movie without that. It's just that I sent Steve screenshots later to kind of like fill in if there's questions he had about why they were looking at things. Uh, but, mm-hmm. but I think you picked up on all of it anyway. Like, I think it was pretty straightforward. Um, but yeah, like, I think that like, like, um, so, um, one of the reasons I love this film is that it, it there is the, that the attention to detail you're like, you're talking about, uh, but it also feels it, I don't know how it, how it walks the line of feeling simplistic and complicated at the same time. 
because it it feels like both because the the um the the, the character models however you want to describe them aren't overly complicated but there's enough detail there um the backgrounds are beautiful but they're like they don't like you know they don't smack you in the face um it feels very like in lesser hands this could have been a throwaway story of like a, a psycho stalker um but that's not what we get we get something that's like multi-tiered which you were trying to like to explain um but um, the dreamlike quality that I feel like, um, with today's technology, you could get this and be, and, and do a good job with it. And I'm going to mention, this is not the same thing. And I know it's in my wheelhouse, but the bit in Spider-Man far from home, whenever Mysterio is like messing with him and it becomes like this nightmare of imagery, the technology is there to do something like this. Now, I feel like with this being animated, um, it almost feels like it's more of a benefit because since the, the style is consistent throughout that when things get weird, they, um, they still feel fixed in that reality. If that makes sense to where they're more terrifying. That, that makes perfect sense. And when I was thinking about a live action version of this movie, the two directors that immediately popped into my mind, just because of the way that they uh, tell a story. The first was David Fincher. I don't think that Fight Club visually... Okay, it is different because it's live action, but like I could see David Fincher doing what they did in the animated film visually. Oh, yeah. I yeah. could see him trying to recreate that. Um, and then the other one, and this is more of a story component, was I was thinking of how Christopher Nolan unfolds a story. Um, but those were the two comparisons that I, I came up with in my brain that I was like, oh, if they were going to do this live action how would they do it? And when I, once I thought of those names, I'm like, yeah, maybe those, but that's, again, that's getting the material into rarefied air. You know what I mean? Like in lesser hands, this movie wouldn't have been as good as it was. So give me, uh, give I, me Gilmore del Toro. Like, let me see what he would have done. Some, something like this, you know, like, Oh yeah, he would have broke I, that mirror. That was like between the two. I think that would have been interesting. Right. So, um, but yeah, like, so I, I guess to talk more about some of the, and I cut you off, I apologize. Um, there's, there's a whole thing here where we find out with, with Nima, uh, um, who, um, sorry, <laughs> Nima, uh, Mima, I kept writing Nima in my notes. I told you this before we started recording, uh, how she, you get this notion that she, she wants to be an actress and her agent and her, um, her manager, Manager is Numi, right? I think I think Numi's her manager, and then the agent is the guy. I, the, the, the names are a little weird, but we know Numi. We know we know uh, Mima. Um, they also like. Ah, are you sure about this? And she's like, No, I want to be an actress. Be taken seriously. And there's this weird, this world. Um, there's this weird pivot of like, Oh, if you're a pop star, you can't be taken seriously as an actor. Which I like. This is the '90s. You could see like maybe maybe more so in that culture over there. Um, we still have a lot of crossover people now, but that was not a given. So I, that might of all the things here that might feel dated other than, uh, Mima not understanding the internet, which is also funny to me just cause it, like I, it made me fall in love with her more where like when Anumi's like, this is how you do this. She's like, I don't get it. I thought that was funny. Um, there's this weird, um, like stigmatism attached to oh, you're a performer. You're a singer. There's no possible way that you could be comfortable in front of a camera delivering lines, which feels like a weird divide. But that's that's the world we're in in this, where she has to stop being a pop star in order to be taken seriously as an actress. So she has to give up part of a life and part of herself 
to make this transition. And from the jump, there is opposition and uh, difficulty because we didn't even talk about um, uh, the stalker that's showing up. His his name is actually, uh, was it Mimania? I think that's what they actually call him, Mr. Mimania. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't quite sure how to pronounce it. Uh, yeah. If it was Mimamania, if it was Mimamia, yeah. Mimania. I think it's Mimania. Who who looks like um, Jason from Friday the Thirteenth Part Two without his mask? <laughs> I thought it looked. I thought I thought he looked like Michael Jackson hit with a sledgehammer. That's what I thought he looked like to me. Uh, but, so hey, can yeah. I ask you a quick please. question? I'm yeah. Sorry. No, please. So uh, I just wanted to ask, uh, just because you've had more time spent with this film, was there? Because I couldn't find it in my research, um, and while I didn't do deep research, I. I I, I did a little bit in and trying to find out a little bit more about the visual style of the film, but I didn't get an answer to this. So both Rumi and the stalker don't have anime eyes. Um, that's yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Mima definitely does. So like when you're constructing a drawing, one of the basics that they tell you is, is that uh, the head is five eyes apart. And uh, the space between your two eyes is one eye. So, like, where your nose is, is if you're trying to, like, line it out on a drawing, you're going to figure that there should be the length of one of the eyes in between the two. Rumi's definitely, like, she's got, like, two eyes, or the space of two eyes between her two eyes. Like, she's got, like, a, a Roman helmet style like it's it's very weird the way yeah, her eyes and her eyes are face. actually like like spatially smaller on her face than other right people. yeah and uh the same with the stalker even though we only see one of his eyes it's way off to the left mm-hmm. i think or maybe it's the right eye long story short i was wondering if there was anything that you came across and maybe it's just that it should be like Hey, dumbass, it's a visual distinction so that you know who those characters are and plays into what happens later in the story. And I just didn't pick up on it. But I I, I was like, wow, everybody else in this film seems to have similar eyes or similar spaced eyes, I should say. But those two characters did not. And I wasn't sure if there was something that you ran across as far as like, you know, the way the film was designed or the art. When you, when you say that, though, I, I didn't think about that specifically, but now that you say that and knowing what we know about, like, the ending of the film, um, I think it was a really smart move to put that um, visual, like, cue and uncomfortableness in there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I think, you know, I don't think you're wrong about that. I think that's because you're right. Everybody else is like, you know, like, like credit to like the, like the manager, uh, sorry, the agent has a distinct look, the director of double bind, the writer of double bind, uh, the two leads in double bind. And I'm not saying the, the, the characters names and the actors that are like that do the voices. I apologize because it, you know, it, I'm not as it's not all connecting, but I see on like the Wikipedia where they mention, uh, mention, 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 um, you know, um, the the stalker guy like they give him the name like that i i, I just wrote weirdo and the entire time in my notes and i felt that was inappropriate because <laughs> i forgot his name because he don't they don't mention him until uh as mr mimania until later you know in the film um but yeah like so like they all they, they, you're right they, they all have distinct looks but they all look appropriate to each other except for rumi and mr mimania you know like and that's it you're right so i think that's probably also a purposeful decision 
to let you know how things are going to shake out. Okay. I wasn't sure if there was anything else that maybe I was missing. No. You know, and, and it's it also, my first watch. I know you've gotten to live with it a lot longer than I had, so I wasn't sure. Well, I also think it speaks to when you talked about the, the sense of identity and the sense of character um, and how people like how you want to be seen and are seen. I think that I think it speaks a lot, especially to Numi's character, you know, so, mm-hmm. uh, or sorry, Rumi. Oh, God damn. I'm screwing up all the names. Rumi. And I, I, yeah. Rumi I and Mima. Too, it took me a while to realize that she wasn't her roommate. I just thought she was saying like, "Oh, it's my roomie." Like, yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize it was a name. That's it. That's just my roomie. My roomie named Rumi. Yeah. Um, no. Um, so yeah, as the film escalates, it eventually becomes like this, uh, this uh, very shaky foundation of of uh, Mima, who's like transitioning into being an actress, leaving Cham, because um, we all heart Cham. I hope I hope Steve. I hope you heart Cham because I heart Cham. Um, I heart champ very much. Um, yeah. And then it becomes a thing of like, you get this, um, this line of how far she's willing to go to, um, distance herself from her squeaky clean, uh, pop star past. And also her genuinely nice person. Mima's a nice person. I don't get the vibe that like, I like her, like, like even the beginning when she's like walking around the supermarket buying food for her fish and um, her favorite brand of milk, which is cow brand. Just so everybody knows that's my, I prefer milk that is cow brand. Just throwing that out there. Um, it made me laugh. Actually, I was going to bring it up, but no, yeah. the, well, cause it's a, it ties in later, right? Right. When she goes to, when she finds the blog, it's basically a blog. It, it, that's not what they call it then of Mima's room, which is the early internet like site that people would go to and that's supposedly her writing her thoughts of the day. And they specifically mentioned cow brand milk. I'm like, like, so I'll, I'll take a step back. Um, when I was watching this for the first time with my wife about a year ago, uh, she was kind of like 50, 50 about it as we started. Uh, Cause it's like one of those things where it's like, I, I feel like this is one of those films. And again, I threw the spoiler warning out uh, earlier, the less, you know, the better. And so they see her go to the supermarket picking up things and like, oh, like it's very clearly a cow in the bottle. And she is kind of like a little dismissive. But then the moment this blog showed up that was not written by the main character calling out her day, she kind of got quiet and started watching. And it's like, that's the point, you know, <laughs> and it's like there that that's when the hooks start coming out and start getting you. Yeah, I, I, uh, I also think of. Uh, the fact that we keep being intercut and it, it becomes more frequent as we get towards the end of the film. But there's Mima, the, the actress, Mima, the, the, um, the singer, I, I, for whatever reason, I couldn't think of the name uh, of Cham for some reason I blanked on it, but, but the, you love Cham. the pop star. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, but, uh, there's also this like third aspect of it in that, we're now getting the story interspersed with the character that she's playing. Yes. So it becomes hard to inter. Uh, no, you're right. Interpret you're, you're, is you're, a better way of putting it. But like those moments that you're talking about are specific to her character. And I think that they add to the story. And I think that it gives us a, a cue, at least a little small one of who she is as a person, as opposed to the character that she is in double bind versus the, avatar that she's become. Yeah. So you got the pop star, you have the actress and then you have Mima. That's the three that kind of blur. Right. So 
we end up having, you talk about this cross cutting and um, like, it's, I want to mention too, that this is clearly a film 97 because she gets a fax in her room. <laughs> like I was okay. like, Oh, you get a fax. Go ahead, please. Can we just talk about that real quick? Please, I don't know. Please, maybe, please. maybe people uh, in Japan in 1997 all had fax machines. Uh, but I was like, yeah, the only place I ever ran into fax machines were at hotels. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know anybody who owned a fax machine back in the day. Well, she's a pop way. star. You got to find out like the current AP wire news about pop stars. That's what the P stands for in AP. It's associated pop star. So I, I, um, I don't want to digress here, but I just I want to mention this real quick. Cause mm-hmm. The one thing I think of every time I think of a fax machine. Um, but uh <laughs> In 1989's Batman, surprisingly, I'm going back to Batman. Um, the character of Vicki Vale was originally supposed to be played by Sean Young, and she fell off a horse, got hurt, couldn't play the character. They had to find a replacement really quick. And Kim Basinger, Bassinger, not sure how you say it, tells a story on one of the. Uh, it's not the commentary; it's like a special feature on the the Blu-ray, where she talks about that uh, they had to send her the uh, the script via fax oh god and whoever did it had to stay up literally like all night because fax is sent in and well i guess even dial-up was probably faster like, like i'm just like can you imagine having like a you know 100 page script being faxed to somebody <laughs> in 1989 well, like, like oh my god there, what was it in the movie um almost famous there's a bit where uh the main character's talking to the guy at rolling stone he's like yeah we got this fax machine it's like it's like a page every two minutes or whatever it's pretty great it's like oh god like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah i think it was also being sent internationally so oh, that's, no. whenever i see a fax machine i always think of that i'm like oh god how long did it take to get there yeah so yeah, she got this fax and it was like very angry. Um, and it, it calls her a traitor for leaving being a pop star. Uh, but, uh, and so then we end up going into the whole thing of like, what you hear in the trailer where she says, excuse me, who are you? That's like her only line and double bind to begin with. But then we get this whole thing of her agent trying to like push her more into the show. And then we get the stress of this writer that is like written this big mystery of who the killer is. and doesn't have an answer. Um, so you get like this additional thing where he's like, Oh, well maybe her. And, um, and so this, this is where we start getting in her, like selling her soul more and more to get away from her pop star image. But then things start getting weird because then, um, she starts seeing the pop star in reflections and taunting her. And it's amazing. It's also interesting too, because the images that she's seeing of the pop star, are I don't want to quite say ethereal, but they're also very animated compared to her in real life. Like you, I think you mentioned it earlier. Like they're she's literally bouncing around like a rabbit almost. Well, I also think like the, they they do the skin tones differently too. I think as as uh, Mima starts like you know <laughs> giving up uh, like, or start crossing certain lines, I think her her complexion starts getting darker and the pop star self is this bright, like bubblegum pink, like almost the entire time. Yeah. You know what? That's probably fair. I didn't catch that the first time, but again, I also feel like there's a lot of things that I didn't catch on this, the the first watch of this movie that I need to get from uh, a second viewing. So, um, not, not to go point for point through the story, because I feel like we could do that and be here forever because there's a lot here to go into. Um, 
What was the first thing in the film that surprised you that you're like, I don't know what I'm in for? Mm, boy. Um, probably the letter bomb. Okay. That lines up uh, with what we're talking about here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it. I don't think this. Uh, I'm trying to remember if, if she's looking at the internet before or after that scene. It's before. Um, so okay. she gets the traitor facts. She's on set. Um, and then as they, they pause for a second, the lead actress on double blind gets like a, like this, like five inch stack of like fan mail. Um, but there's a single letter that, that it's supposed to be for Mima and the, her, um, her agent, uh, takes it. And as she's getting ready for her big, her big scene with her one line, she says her line of, excuse me, who are you? And you hear this, like this boom and you see him collapsing, right? And yeah, I yeah. thought it was a gunshot at first, so that's why it threw me. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but then, like, he, like you see him holding his neck and bleeding. He's like, "I'll be fine." It's like, I don't know, your neck hurt. You're you're bleeding out a lot there. Um, but yeah, uh, so it's a it's a fan letter, basically, being like, "How dare you?" Um, and that's when she starts um, like going on to uh, Mima's room, which, by the way, her her computer was a Macintosh Performa. I thought that was funny they labeled it. And then, um, and, and, um, Rumi is trying to teach her the internet and I like her response. I, I was, I wrote here, um, oh, what was it? Um, something along the lines of like the internet, that's pretty popular these days. That makes sense. Not one bit. <laughs> I like that Mima was just like, she's like, you know, she's like, I have no idea what you're talking about, but cool. I thought that was funny. It's the equivalent of Homer Simpson saying, Oh, the internet's on computers now. Yeah, but it's like something about that still made me like like love her more. Where it's like, nope, I have no idea what you're saying. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's whenever like she starts finding out about like the the Daily Posts and whatever. Um, and then we also find out too that the new two person version of Cham is actually doing better without her. So she's having this doubt of being in the world, but also wanting to go further. Um, but that's when we start getting this, like these cross cuts of some of her scenes with double bind and her life. And, um, you had said before we started recording that you're trying to do a little bit of research and, uh, and I don't, I don't want to bring in the real world, but you said that, uh, that your, that your wife had seen a little bit about what you're looking at. Uh, you watched a video of someone talking about the movie, correct? Yeah. Yeah. And how they mm -hmm. describe parts of it. Well, they, they described it as confusing, and that immediately turned her off. And I, I don't. Again, I yes, it, it's confusing in the moment on purpose. But I, it's confusing yeah. on purpose. Yeah. But I don't feel like I don't know. I I'm trying to think of a, a good comparison. I I don't feel like it's an off-putting confusing. I don't feel like. They're weaving a web just to try and be clever. They're not. They're they're trying to tell a story, and yeah, they're taking you in some places that you're like, I don't know if I understand where this is going, but that's not a bad thing either. Um, movies can be challenging, and that's you know, I I, I don't know. I <laughs> there's probably somebody out there who's like, I just listened to your argument about why Prometheus sucks, and uh, you know. Uh, that's a challenging movie, so I don't know. I'm talking in circles, but <laughs> yeah, 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 I, I, yeah, yeah. You know, for, yeah, it's challenging because you know they purposely uh, drop the ball at times and then explain things. This, 
This film does like, I'm not saying that it gives you every single answer and it doesn't, but to put you in the mindset of Mima as she goes along and seeing how unsure of her world that she gets, it's very effective. Yeah. I mean, a movie doesn't have to always give you all the answers and that's okay. It's when those answers are just left out because the, they don't seem to know what they are. That's where I run into a problem. So, um, and actually I feel like they wrap things up pretty well. And again, I'm sure I'll get more out of it every time I watch. And I'm sure there'll be things that I'll notice and see where I'll be like, Oh, well this, this clearly, you know, intertwines the scene. And I didn't make that connection earlier. And now that I'm thinking back to your question about like the first scene that like, not threw me off, but made me go, Oh, excuse me. Oh, this is all going to a place that I'm unaware of. That happens multiple times in the film. The elevator, oh, I guess it's in a garage, parking garage. I guess it's an elevator. No, there, no, the, the elevator with there's the a, writer. Uh, yeah. When he, uh, there's he, an elevator kill that happens and uh, spoilers. There some people get killed in this movie. Um, <laughs> and I'm not going to say who it is, but like, what oh happens, shit! I spoiled it. I just <laughs> <laughs> but when it happens, I was like, "Oh my god!" Like I was not expecting that because you don't see the actual action. It's the elevator, him going in, and then the elevator opening back up after what's happened. And there's also a boombox playing one of Cham's songs, I believe, yeah. in the elevator with him. Um, but again, it was like I did not expect that visual to come out of that scene. Um, I'm trying to think of another, well, the pizza delivery uh, scene, the pizza delivery scene obviously is actually, that's, that's up there with like some, and again, I don't want to spoil too much, but like slasher. Oh, like no cinema. I, I knew this was going to be like some adjacent top kills. I knew this was going to be one, one of Steve's see This is Steve's jam. The yeah. big, the big body pizza delivery scene. A big box of, Big Body is the name of the pizza company, mm-hmm. not. Uh, but uh, yeah, I I was like blown away by that, and it's an ice pick kill, and wow, is it well done? It's really well done, and um, I don't want to spoil it, but it's bloody, boy. It's bloody. <laughs> <laughs> so well, That's an ice yeah, pick kill would be. I know some of some of the like so. Um, I know that this film tilts into like the more dreamlike, I don't want to say fantasy, but dreamlike, like nightmare, like, but the violence is so matter of fact that it is, uh, it's hard to look away from. Like I'll, I'll argue that the violence in here is so direct a matter of fact. Um, the, uh, there's a bit where we find out that, um, the show double bind once uh, Mima's character to be a stripper at a strip club and then get like overpowered by the patrons. And there's a um, extended sequence of where they shoot a rape scene. That is one of the more most uncomfortable things I've seen in movies in a long time, because not only is it like them shooting a rape scene for like a TV show, how they go about it. And then when they call cut and they just leave her on the stage, like it is, so uncomfortable as it goes on. Um, sorry, you well, were going to say something. Yeah, that's please. the weird thing about that scene is, is that you know that it's, it's fake. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it, you're not experiencing this happening. You know that she's filled. It's not happening to the characters. It's being filmed. It's it. Well, it's happening to the character, but it's, it's, 
it's her filming a scene for her show. And I don't know why, but it's, it's, I don't want to say it's almost worse because it, it's, it, she's not actually being raped in the scene, but God, it's, it's, it's <laughs> it, a tough scene. It, it's, it's, it's like, it's like it, a half step away. Right. Cause then when they call cut, yeah. um, the, the gentleman that's on top of her and he's like, I'm so sorry. She's like, no, it's okay. And then the action, he's right back at it and her eyes go dead. It's like, yeah. God damn. Like we talk about animation it it makes your skin crawl watching that whole sequence. And then you see uh, the agent and you see Numi uh, watching all of this, like in the production room. And it is um, like, again, I understand that, that there's, there's a certain amount of exploitation. Um, I think the story sets it up well. Um, and then later too, with a photographer that does the thing he does, um, I don't think any of this is like, it, it's not salacious. I think it's exploitive on purpose for the character of, 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 you know, of Mima to show what's being taken away from her during all of this. So it doesn't feel like, it doesn't feel like rape for rape's sake. It doesn't feel like smut for smut's sake. These are all steps that she is like saying yes to, to appease those around her and also herself to, to distance herself from her pop star image, but you know that she's ultimately not okay with it. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like we could probably do an entire podcast just on nudity and film. And maybe that's something we could talk about in the future, but the, the way the nudity is portrayed in this film, it, it's, it's never salacious. And it, it feels weird to say that about an animated film, but like most of the way this characters are drawn, they're all idealized. I mean, um, Mima looks like your typical anime character. And I don't mean that to be a slight to the way the art direction is done or the way it was made, but like she looks like an anime character. She, she's got the, the whole look that I would associate with the genre. We'll put it that way. Um, I don't know if I could call anime a genre. Maybe I'm, I'm mismixing my words. Style. But like she's not that far away from being something. Yeah, the art style. Like she's, yeah, it's probably it, a better way. Of she's not it. that distance from being something like a Sailor Moon, but she's not as like um, as hourglassy as you get in some of that hourglass. Not the right word. She's not as sexualized, but, but she's not that far off. Right. But like whenever we see her uh, compromised, like glamour. Yeah, yeah, she's she's glamorized when she's like in her pop star mode or when she's actually not even her real life, but like, it's such a stark way that they, they do the nudity that it's like, it feels wrong looking at it, even though it's like, well, that's not even a real person. That's animation. Well, that's whole, what they're able to do with it. They like, show, they show a, a, a stark amount of nudity whenever it comes to the photographer doing his layout and, 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 and you hear the camera flashing and you get that whole segment. So you see things that you're like, Oh, that's an animated thing. I, bleh, you know, um, but the moment like you, but you see what the photographer wanted and what the magazine published. And then you see her reaction to what happened. And I think that's important. Uh, in right. Terms but of it's, it's never done. Like, like that photo shoot isn't done. Like it's a scene from, you know, Revenge of the Nerds or something. Oh, no, 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 like, you're right. You're, yes, you're right. <laughs> it's, not, that's, it's not that's done for I'm yucks and cheesecake. It. It's not done for cheesecake. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, like I just, um, my gosh. And then so then like the murders we talk about, like it's like you see 
um, there's a blurring of is it is it really her killing these people? Is it the, like is it the writer that like that wrote the rape scene? Is it the photographer that shot her nude and caused arrest? Is it the agent that booked things? Is it you know like so you begin to wonder is like is her is her psyche fractured and causing all this or is it somebody else? Because we also have her doubting herself because her pop star image keeps showing up. We have um. Mr. Manya, who is clearly unhinged and a stalker. We see him through the whole thing and he feels like a red herring, but he isn't again, credit to this film that like, like what you would think would be like, not the payoffs do pay off in weird ways. Yeah, I, I agree. I think also going back to the idea of being a reflection. I, I and again, I, I, I need to rewatch the film to have a more like concrete mm-hmm. thesis. But I feel like a lot of the times that we see Mima, or at least this other version of her, it's always in a reflection. Yes. And I think that that's an interesting, I don't want to say look at the character, but I think it's an interesting way of portraying the two sides. And both her not knowing and you not knowing if this is really what she's seeing, if if she's going crazy, if she sees that there's an actual like doppelganger, like everything that's being played with in her head is also being played with the viewer. Yeah. So then, so, so then what, how do you feel? And I know we're further in here down the rabbit hole. Um, so I'm, I'm going to throw another one out here for you guys. If you've not watched this movie, you need to, do you know why they are called spoilers? I'm going to throw all these out here. There you go. Like, I, I like I'm in a church. I'm like, I'm going to preach to you the gospel of the perfect blue. That's what's going to happen. No, um, <laughs> no. Like when we get to what's going on, really, um, it like in terms of her fractured psyche, I still think that serves the ending of the movie. Um, but we find out that, uh, you know, Mr. Mamania is actually the one who is running the blog, but he's also getting whispered to by the pop star. What did you think of that for a second when you realized that he's typing in her voice, but the ethereal, the, like the, the dreamlike version of Mima is right behind, right beside him talking to him. What'd you think of that? It's creepy. And I also wondered if it was, and I don't know if I want to say this because it's part of the big reveal at the end of the film. Well, I threw out two spoiler a, warnings, a Sega rally game over, man. Come on. Okay. I didn't know if it was actually Rumi's voice that he was hearing and interpreting as Mima or if it was like I'm divided on it. Like I'm wondering if if he actually had a relationship with Rumi not knowing that she wasn't Mima or if it was completely his interpretation. Yeah, because there's the whole sequence, too, of all the all the photos and posters talking to him which is creepy, you know? And, but then it's like, she's over the shoulder talking to him, but you also know that, that, um, Rumi spoiler is, um, there's a psychic break with her where once, uh, Mima goes away from being a pop star, which there's a bit of dialogue earlier. I need to pick up on it again. I'm pretty sure they, that the agent is talking to her. It was like basically saying you're a pop star once, like, you know how it goes. I I think that was like, she had the life and wishes she did again. I think that's mm-hmm. the way it was taken. So I need to go back and revisit. I'm sorry. Like this film is great. It's, but I was switching between the English W two video and cutting back to the Amazon one. I rented to try to find you like cleaned up screenshots. 
So it kind of bounced a little bit. I apologize. Um, but the last image, That's okay. uh, the last image I sent you, like I almost wanted to post to Facebook cause it's gorgeous. Right. Like, and we'll talk about that in a second. Um, so, um, you get the notion that no matter what Rumi is living, um, you know, um, vicariously through, uh, Mima. Right. And so when we find out that she has been putting a lot of these wheels in motion to torment Mima into giving up the actress life to the point to where if she's this far in and committed to this rape scene and all this other stuff that she's not really her anymore. And she's going to have Mr. Mamamia take her out. That is dark, dark. So, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I, I'm never quite sure what Mr. Mamania, his relationship is to Rumi. If he's in on it or if he's just being deluded by her. There's part of me that wants to believe that it's him thinking that the version of Mima that's reaching out to him is the real version and he's unable to separate the two. Because, and I, again, I, I'm assuming it's intentional, but like Rumi is completely designed differently than Mima. And, uh, We've already talked about the the visuals with her face, but um, her body type is completely different. And which is interesting because when she appears at the end of the film and we see that she's completely psycho uh, and again, spoilers, uh, okay. uh, the vision that she seems to also have of herself is of. Mima, As which I think star, is yeah. interesting. At least that's the way I interpret it. Is. No, yeah. you're right. Like so, like the, you talk about reflections of the entire film, and then we finally have Mima running from Numi. Sorry, Rumi. God damn it, the R's and M's. I apologize. But there's a bit at the end whenever uh, Rumi's like, no, 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 no worries, no worries. I'll take you back to Mima's room, which is a point for point recreation of uh, Mima's like room. Except the fish are alive, and I think there's a champ poster in the background. Like it is, it is messed up. And then whenever she uh, goes after Mima, saying that you know you're the filthy you know person that became this uh, actress, and then every reflection is just in the reflection. Anytime you see uh, a roomie, you see pop star uh, Mima. Um, I understand there's a little bit of blurring of when we see her bouncing across the light posts and having this airy quality, I think I, I want to believe it's a mix of the two of, of uh, Mima's perception of what's going on, but also Rumi's perception of what's going on, of how she wants to be her, like to be that. And I think animation can get away with that because I don't know how this would have done been live action. I think that would have been kind of, I think I'd have been pissed off. Yeah, and I, I realize I made a Fincher comparison earlier, but I, I'm thinking sort of the way that Brad Pitt's character is portrayed throughout. And it, admittedly, it's a completely different setup in Fight Club in that he's an actual character throughout the story. It's only until you get to the end of the film that you realize who his character really is. But um, there are visual tricks that he employs throughout the film, and, you know, they're more subliminal images, but. I think I think there would have been a way that you could have done the reflections um, and gotten away with it or at least planted them sort of subliminally in a similar fashion. Maybe. You're right. But I, 
I think also once we get to the end of the, the and it's not the very, very end of the story because um, Rumi's fate isn't quite what I thought it was going to be, but like she does get impaled on a piece of glass, which I think is very symbolic of the whole idea of being a reflection. Yeah. Good call. Yes. A plus. Yeah. I get one every once in a while. <laughs> no. So, but so, um, okay. A triple quadruple spoiler here. I, like I, like I just tell everybody, I sent you, a series of screenshots from the film that some of the things were translated into English. So you saw like how they were presented like later. So hopefully some of that clicked into place for you, but Mm -hmm. the last image I sent to you had nothing to do with translation. I just wanted you to see the restoration, like the, the wonderful, like high definition version of, of Numi in the roadway after she had impaled herself on the glass shard and just covered in blood but as she's looking back at um, at, at Mima, she sees herself as the pop star, like coated in blood. Oh my gosh! Like that is so goddamn powerful, and that image cleaned up is just chilling. Well, it's also the way that she's sort of wiping her hand down her face. Oof. It's almost like war paint. Yes, that's fair. Um, but then there's this truck oncoming. She stands up to, you know, stands into the spotlight. Um, yeah, man. I don't know. Like, so, I mean, we're, we're at the very, very end, but, um, yeah, I, I just, I love this movie and, um, I, I know I, I tipped my hand earlier and I know recommending it to you shows you how much I love it. Um, like I, I believe, and people can prove me wrong by giving me multiple examples of everything that I feel like sometimes Eastern animation, um, and like, an, like anime and manga, there's a high um, bar for entry of like how much you're willing to accept. Um, when people compare this to Hitchcock and like and something like Vertigo, that's not far off. And I feel like this film's very approachable, and then it just beats the shit out of you, like rightfully so. So it should it should punch you and keep punching you until the end. The end is a little a little bubblegum poppy, but I'll forgive that last three seconds, like because it's like oh. I know who I am. Cool upbeat song. Like it's like I actually kind of like that because <laughs> it was such a, a direct contrast to the rest of the film. I like the fact that it was her asserting who she is and getting this bright poppy like song hitting you in the face. Excuse me, hitting you in the face. Like I, I actually enjoyed that quite a bit. Okay, um, good. Like I don't disagree with you. I'm just like it's it's sudden. Um, but so in terms of like when they talk about the film called being perfect blue, um, it, there's a lot of, um, it's supposed to like the, the, the only time you see like a perfect blue, clear sky is the very, very end when she gets in her car after leaving the hospital and yeah, she knows who she is. It's, it's a perfect blue sky and she's going to write her own future. I dig that. Um, when you mentioned black swan, there's elements of this in there. Clearly it also makes me think of, um, Oh shit! What's that movie? Um, oh gosh, damn the French horror film. I'm, I'm, it's high tension. High tension. Yes, there's elements of that. It's not quite the same, but there's elements that run through where you question your perception of reality of the main characters the entire time. Yeah, high tension is a film that I need to revisit because I didn't really it didn't really work for me the first time I watched it. 
but I think this would actually probably make a really good double feature, but oh, uh, yeah. this and that. Um, but I, I, I don't know. There, there was something about the way that this was presented that completely captivated me. And I, I have to say that, uh, again, it's, it's weird to be like, Oh, Howl's moving castle and this <laughs> and Akira are the three, like, you know, that I've seen that, aren't traditionally you know western animations so um so far we're we're pretty good i don't know that i'm gonna say that this is gonna be my favorite of the year of the knockoff but boy oh boy you're the knockoff sir sorry year of animation get your get your shit straight (laughs) i'm sorry year year of animation wow i went back i skipped year of canon i went back two years yeah um but yeah i don't know that uh I don't know. This is a pretty high contender. We'll put it that way. Okay. Fair enough. Um, I adore this film. I think it has, it has teeth. It has style out the wazoo. It is very approachable. The score is amazing. The soundtrack's a lot of fun. Um, even like later when we even get to the bit of, uh, I have a screenshot. I was going to post it to the Facebook page later. That is whenever you have the two, the, the, the duo of cham in the studio doing the radio show. Yeah. <laughs> and we have we have her we have uh, uh Mima walk in and see like in her own mind the pop star joining. I'm definitely going to uh post that image and be, be like this is when we podcast, this is what this looks like when we have uh we have friends on the show. So I definitely <laughs> screenshotted that. I was like, Well we have Jeff, friend of the show, Jeff on the show. This is what this looks like. He is this sparkling beacon of like, you know awesome and it's like hey, we're just all hanging around microphones just talking having a good time yeah jeff shows up makes us look bad and then <laughs> gets to go back out to his... and then, then as jeff leaves he just bounces across like lampposts yeah. i'm like god damn it and then 12 months later he shows up again to have insightful commentary and i'm like damn it jeff <laughs> you can't be good at everything oh but he is <laughs> he's so good at everything oh gosh he he knows what the heart of Cham is. We don't know Cham. Um, so, yeah, I okay. So, like, I know we kind of gave away some of the big plot points. Uh, and again, if you guys are listening and we've already ruined some of this, I really don't think we ruined it. This film's great, and to have I don't a, know how you talk about this film without spoiling uh, some of it, though. Like, I yeah, ugh. yeah, I, I you're right. Um, it is a great psychological thriller that operates on a couple different levels, and it rewards reviewing. Um, like there's things I picked up this time through that I'm not going to say now because it was your first time watch. So I'm not going to tell you if you want to watch this again. Um, also, um, I did find the link. I'll have to post it. There is the, um, uh, the Blu-ray DVD combo. That's, uh, that's currently 1899. This is a film worth picking up because it's gorgeous. Yeah. I think I'm going to have to pick it up because, uh, I, I would love to do a deep dive and I would love to know if there's, and maybe there aren't, but if there's some special features on it, I would love to hear more about the making of it. Yeah, I think Shout Factory put it out, if I remember right. So I think they had some features on it. Again, uh, I, I lent this out. This I, I didn't tell I didn't tell you guys this by recording. I told you this earlier. I let a friend of mine borrow this like a year ago, and because of the plague, I've not gotten it back. Um, so I was like, I should be good watching the Amazon version of this. I'm like, oh, yeah, let me let me t- take a step back. The Amazon, um, if you pay like three bucks to watch it on Amazon video, um, it's it's the HD, like it's gorgeous. It is the subtitle version, which is perfectly great. Um, Steve, what did you think of the dubbing, like the, the dub track for a 97 anime film? 
I actually thought it was really good. Um, I didn't feel like sometimes you watch animation. Heck, it it happened during a uh, a few dollars more, where uh, or just a few dollars full of dollars. I'm messing up for, the name no, of the no, movie now. For a few dollars more. And it even, yeah. even and happened a little bit during Howl's Moving Castle where it's like, you can feel the disconnect. Yeah. But like, where I was like, oh, that seems really standout. This doesn't feel like it's... It, it feels very... Like, it feels perfectly fine to watch it with an English dub, at least. And uh, it doesn't feel out of place. No, I thought I thought it worked with uh, the lady who played uh, Mima was wonderful. I think that the English, like not that I'm saying that you shouldn't experience it in the regular, like, you know, the way it's intended. That's probably the most perfect way to experience it. However, the times I have seen it has been with this dub track and with it being 20 plus years old, it holds up really, really well. Like, I don't know. Like there was care well, put into this. I think also, and again, this is not me being like, oh, I don't want to read a movie, but like sometimes, having to read the dialogue can take away from the visual impact of trying to keep up the images that are happening on screen. That's fair. Sometimes your focus is divided. So I, I don't think there's anything wrong with watching the dubbed version, you know, as long as it's not distracting. And I didn't find it in this case at all. Okay, good. It's, I think that's why I wanted you to watch it with the dub track because I, I think that was worthy of note. Um, so yeah. All right. No, perfect blue. I love this movie. Watch it, watch it, watch it, watch it. That's all I got to say about it. And Steve, you dug this film as well, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I think I said it earlier. Like, again, thankfully, I should say, you know, we, we've had a lot of great stuff in this year of animation. And uh, I, I, I don't know. It's another contender where I'm like, I don't know. This could be my favorite of the year. Maybe it's, you know, um, Secret of Nim. Maybe it's this. Uh, you're right. Maybe. Ma- you know what I mean? Like I, I it's not going to be wizards, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I almost still kind of feel like that. We're not even getting like, we're not scratching the surface of like amazing animation. And it's like, we're already in like in August. I feel like I almost want to be like, what about next year? Like, I feel like we're not even getting close to some of the great things we're finding. Cause now that like, now that I found out like Millennium actress is drawn by the same director. It's like, not that I didn't want to see it before but I want to watch it. Like I want to see his other, I want to see Paprika. I want to see Tokyo Godfathers. I want to watch these films because he gets like, from what we've seen there, the, the human side of this comes out in spades. Right. So I want to see more of this. Yeah. I, I, I'm right there with you. And I, I want to go back to your original question at the beginning of the show. Like, you know, what was sort of the barrier maybe for, or why was I unaware of it? And like, maybe if I had known that more things like this existed, I would have delved into it. But I I think that I had my own preconceived notions, unfortunately. And, uh, I'm glad to know that there's movies like this out there. Um, or I should say animated films, uh, from Japan that are out there that I'm like, Oh, okay. It's not all, um, fantasy. And I mean, there's a fantasy element to this, but this is, this is closer to real world world stuff than I think that we've come in a long time, at least with an animated film. Yeah. Like saying Hitchcock, I feel like there's, it's a yeah. very appropriate type of vibe. Right. So yeah, everybody watch, watch this film. Um, let us know your thoughts. Uh, we have a Facebook page. It's a, a invasion of the podcast. Uh, there's a blog out there. 
um, somewhere. It's invasionofthepodcast.com. I keep kicking around ideas for the blog, but then the weekend happens and then I play video games and then I fall asleep. So that happens. So I need to update it. I need to do something, but it has not been updated for a bit. But there's multiple things there to read. Uh, Steve has a great uh, post about his Star Wars figures that he has. His 87 Bespin Lukes that he talked about. That's, you know, check it out. Invasionofthepodcast.com. Uh, wherever you find podcasts, rate and review us. There's a lot of migration recently between Google Music to, like, YouTube Music. I don't know what that means, but um, if you find podcasts through Google, please rate and review us. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, um, you know. Um, bucket of pods, uh, golden corral, wherever you get your podcasts, uh, random drive throughs of fair food. That, that's fine. Just rate and review us. It'd be greatly appreciated. And you don't have to wait two hours to listen to us. That's well, true. You have to wait two hours to finish the school. podcast. Yes. But yeah. You're not the, yeah, yeah, that's fair. That's, that's fair. <laughs> and, uh, Steve, how can people find you? You can find me on the Saturday night slasher.com. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram under the Saturday night slasher and on Twitter under the Saturday slasher. Perfect. So um, I want to just point out that, um, that the slasher has been the king of social distancing for a number of years because he's worn a mask. So well, he's, he's not quite to, to Michael Myers level, but uh, he's close, pretty close. Right. So, all right. So next week we're taking a week off because you know, we, we work hard here for this free content, but that's not really true. Um, so as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, I was on, um, uh, El Goro's talk without rhythm podcast. And we talked about, uh, um, meet the feebles and the frighteners. And then Steve was like, I want to talk about stuff too. And now, so what's going to happen is this episode that El Goro is recording this weekend He's going to be covering Steve's Patreon pick over there. So if you guys have not been listening to Talk Without Rhythm, what is wrong with you? He uh, El Goro does an amazing show, and you'd all be better off for it. Uh, he's covering uh, Steve's pick of uh, the Joe Piscopo film, and uh, was it um, Treat Trent, Williams? Treat Williams. Nobody leads with Joe Piscopo. <laughs> Tre- I lead with Joe. Treat Williams, which it, like it should be Spam Jones. That's what I believe. Uh, Treat Williams. And Joe Piscopo's film Dead Heat, which is zombie cops. It's a lot of fun. It's going to be partnered up with uh, The Wraith, which um, that's, that's um, you know, our friend, uh, uh, what's his name? Um, Tiger Blood. I just, I, I, his name's earlier. Charlie Sheen. Charlie Sheen driving a prototype, was it Chevy vehicle? I think it was a Chevy vehicle. Um, yeah, it has Clint Howard in it, whatever. Anyway, so these are the two movies. Uh, but we're going to be on the first part of the episode discussing um, uh, Mr. Joe Bob uh, Briggs and uh, some of the more complicated issues regarding um, the fandom of Mr. Joe Bob. We'll be on there this weekend. We'll post the episode uh, next week. Uh, please watch those films. Uh, check out some of the Joe Bob stuff. Uh, it's going to be an interesting conversation. We're going to take the week off and then the week after we'll come back with who knows what. We don't know. Could be wrestlers. Could be anime. Could be neither one of those things, probably. Who knows? Yeah, I still have my WWE subscription, everyone. So if there's <laughs> something else you want us to watch, oh. let us know. <laughs> well, I, so Steve, just a spoiler: I've been checking out that C, that uh, that CBS All Access show, the Star Trek Lower Decks. So maybe I'll make you watch some of that. Oh, and, yeah. it's interesting you say that. Uh, they put the first episode up on YouTube, so I watched it, and it was okay. Uh, it was okay. It wasn't great. It was okay. It was okay. Yeah. Second episode's a little better. The best way 
Second episode was a little better. What's that? Second episode was a little better. Okay. I watched it. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway, but we'll figure out what we're doing two weeks anyway. Uh, yeah. In the meantime, uh, you know, check out perfect blue. It's available to watch, you know, on YouTube. Um, I can email you the screen grabs of certain things. If you want to see what a fax machine sh- says in 1997 or random clippings in an elevator, I can email you all that stuff. It's fine. So I think you could probably put these on our Facebook. I didn't have to get, create more work for you, but like, you, you know what? You know what? I'll, I'll do that. I, I I'm terrible about posting on social media and then I will post that one of the final images from the film later in the week that if that doesn't make you want to watch this movie, I don't know what will. Yeah, it's cool. Right. <laughs> so let's go do it for our, 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 our uh, year of animation for this, this week. Have, um, have a safe week. We'll post the talk without rhythm, follow that show. And in the meantime, I just, I just got to say with Steve, uh, I, I think, I think we heart jam. Of course we heart jam. <laughs>